This is the Tea Health Show, your medical lifestyle podcast, brought to you by the Tea Clinic, hosted by Dr. Mark. This is the Tea Health Show. I'm Dr. Mark, and in studio with me today, I have two of my favorite girls, Sister Elise van Art. Morning, Elise, and um, the Tea Clinic's gut coach, uh, Stacey Holland. Morning, Stace. Good morning. How are you doing, Sims? I'm awesome. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Okay, so today we're going to talk about something that all of us at some point in our lives will have to contend with, and that's pain. Pain and inflammation Now um, Question to you girls ha, 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 ha. Feels like trivia time when you, It is <laughs> You know what Is That's there cool. a difference In the experience of pain Between men and women I would no, never know I don't think so <laughs> Uh, I would guys come is. across a bit more dramatic though, you know. Have you seen them and they say, That's sick, that's not pain. I'm just saying, you're a bit dramatic. We experience pain on a monthly basis, we know that men don't experience pain like women. <laughs> and when you're older like me, you experience it on a daily basis. Oh my goodness. <laughs> But okay. Did he years complain? No. Missy? Okay, hold on. We <laughs> fired on him. <laughs> no, because um, you know what? You guys are wrong and right. So, it's very interesting pup- pre-pubertal that there's no difference between the experience of pain between boys and girls, but the moment that between puberty to menopause, there's a marked difference in both the experience of pain and the pain sensation itself in men and women. Do you want to venture a guess why? Hormones. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. So the defining thing, right? <laughs> yes. Um, the moment... That we go into puberty as men, our testosterone levels only at that point in time really start getting higher than than those of women. And it's a marked difference, right? A, a very marked difference. Very marked difference. I'm going to illustrate it um, by talking about something that's becoming much more prevalent in society today, and that is transgender people. Mm. So, when we look at um, men transitioning to women, they are treated with estrogen and a little bit of androgens. Now, androgens are male hormones. Estrogens are the female hormones. 33% of these men turning into women will develop chronic pain conditions. All of them will report a Decrease in their tolerance to painful events 
and thermal stimuli, both hot and cold. Jeez. So, the other for females yeah. transitioning into men. Here, these patients are treated with testosterone, and for more than fifty percent of these. Females transitioning to males um, who have chronic pain report an improvement in both the experience of the number of painful events and the duration of these events. I've got a theory about this. Mm. Tell me. Females is more tolerant of pain. They, they not. don't notice it. Mm. No, they're not. It's actually the other way around. You're saying we're, even though we experience pain more regularly, we're you, less tolerant of pain. You're less tolerant of pain because your inflammatory conditions, inflammatory conditions in women are higher than those of men. Now, we also know, and this is something that some people you have to listen to carefully, the amount of auto, auto the amount of autoimmune diseases in women, women and the prevalence of autoimmune diseases in women are far higher because of the inflammatory conditions. There is something, Elise. Yeah, there is something I think that you are referring to without um, vocalizing it, and that is that. Pain is not only a sensory emotion, uh, a, a sensory feeling. Mm. It's an emotional mm. experience. Mm. And I think this is where the difference is, is coming in. Where the emotional experience of pain for women is different to that of men. So, yeah. I agree with you, Simpiwe. When guys have flu, the worst, <laughs> you know, but they're big babies. Yes. Unless you me, where you just chase everyone away. <laughs> so so um, you're the, the grumpy baby. I'm the grumpy baby. Just okay. fuck off. <laughs> so, you know, it leave me alone. Please don't be around me because I will kill you. So, so testosterone is a protective mechanism when it comes to Testosterone pain. is analgesic. Mm. In its making mm. Estrogen on the other hand Is anti-inflammatory Wow So mm. you know what um, The differences between Pain experience in men and women Is not only Because of physiological Things but also Because of an emotional Experience To pain So, so is there a prevalence In the sexes when it comes to the arthritic conditions, do we see a fork and we see... Big one. Definitely, yes. A very, very big one. Okay, so you've touched on arthritic conditions. So actually, let's go and explore what pain is. Mm. If we look at the definition of pain, it's a sensation that's created because of a reaction in the body. It's a warning signal. Mm. Do you agree? Mm-hmm. Okay, so inflammation comes from the Latin word inflammio, which means fire. And it's associated with swelling, 
redness and pain. So basically we can say if you have pain, there's inflammation of some sorts. And it's not always bad. It's not always. It's negative. not always bad. It acts as a warning sign. You know what? You will see athlete uh, or athletes, especially if they elite. The moment that there's a niggle, they would stop. Mm. Why? Is it? Is, it, is there a um, correlation between which comes first, pain or inflammation, or de- does that depend on the condition? It, uh, at least it would be. It would be the condition. Mm. So. Oh yeah, that's true. Whether it's chronic or acute. Yeah. Um, I think that when you look at pain, pain would be first. Mm. The first experience. And then because there's damage, you will have increased blood flow, which is going to give you the heat. You will have release of... um, Cytokines, inflammatory cells, mm. etc., etc. Um, but that's in the that, that will create the the swelling, yeah. um, and then the redness again, blood flow. So, I think pain is usually the first thing, and then you get the inflammatory response because the inflammatory response is trying to manage this condition. Your um, immune system gets activated. Your repair system gets activated. Um, Swelling and pain is there to say to you, don't use this. Stay off your foot or um, relax, rest. rest. Um, But then that inflammation doesn't get turned off, becomes, in some instances, obviously, becomes Chronic, chronic inflammation, inflammation And that's where The pain usually reduces When the inflammation sets in Because of that healing But when that inflammation doesn't get resolved That's when you can have that uptake of pain again Yes And there's something to be said For the formation of chronic pain pathways But mm. we'll, we'll get to that but Can one. I ask this question Because we do see a lot of our patients With inflated or, or or higher inflammatory markers on the biochemistry, but they're not aware that they have pain. Mm. So when when we see an elevation in inflammatory markers on our biochemistry, um, it would usually be as a response to um, a subclinical infection or a subclinical Inflammation Or imbalance Well think about it now I would have Imbalance or hormone imbalance Hormone imbalance I have yeah. I would have higher inflammatory markers now If you did my blood Yes uh, Because I've had that eczema flip But yes. I'm not in pain Yeah But that's why I'm asking Yeah you know. So it is pointing to something Yeah That's lurking However if But you've got the symptoms Yes And however if it doesn't resolve I will start scratching to the point Where it I will pain. It will become painful so. so it's very interesting When The person that's listening to us At the moment um, They won't know Where they have Increased inflammatory markers no. They will have symptoms Maybe that they're unaware of mm. So Stace This is your field of expertise mm. Um because inflammation mm. and our immune system is governed by the gut. Yeah. Um, so can you can you 
tell us maybe what signs we can look out for? And and Stays, before you continue, something that I read up about is what is the role of your digestive enzymes and pain or or inflammation or good or good is gastrointestinal reflux disease Disease. because we see a lot of our patients coming in female specifically that has good Mm. but has been diagnosed with a hernia Mm. and i sometimes question that Mm. it's actually one of the confusing before you answer that Um, can i can i tell you which pain conditions are very prevalent yes Ones that you guys would not think of. Now, this again, these conditions point to the decrease or the variability in hormones, mm, circulating yes. hormones. Mm. Um, Elise, you will know this one well. Dysmenorrhea. Have you heard of that what term? What is that? Period <laughs> pain. Is that the official term? Yeah. <laughs> Dysmenorrhea, babe. Period pain. So period pain is directly associated with changes in estrogen and progesterone levels. Now, there's a couple of other interesting ones. TMJ. That sounds yep. like a car. Temporomandibular <laughs> joint pain. I can say I can't say statistics, but I, but I can. But he can say that temporomandibular so, joint pain. Yes, temporomandibular mandibular joint pain. That's the in pain the that you get in front of your ears. Mm. Jaw. Oh my word. Okay. Okay. People that grind yeah. their teeth for vexing, anxious. Yeah. So IBS. Hmm. Yep. Inflammatory bowel syndrome or disorders. Fibromyalgia. Now, you know what, Elise? We deal with fibromyalgia basically on a daily basis Mm. in the majority of our women. Mm. And a little bit later, we'll talk about neuropathic pain um, or peripheral neuropathy. Mm. Mm. But But don't you also agree that fibromyalgia is like nonspecific? Yes, of course. So what 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 is is fibromyalgia? (laughs) Fibromyalgia is a pain condition that is associated with changes in cognitive function. And systemic pain systemic that's non-specific. Pain, non-specific sure. decrease in cognitive function. And, yeah. and they and complain fatigue. of muscle Legs, muscle pain. Yeah. And Exercise hurts them. Uh, yeah. Walking hurts them. Yeah. Movement, which would be prescribed for pain, makes causes it worse. problem, makes it worse. Yeah. 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 That's why it's, it's, it's a very prevalent condition. And again, it comes back to an inflammatory thing mm. because there are certain Infections that leads to chronic inflammation, like okay, carry on, yeah, Belasha, yes, mm. malaria, mm. tick bite fever, Coxsackie virus, Coxsackie Epstein Barr virus. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, it's big things. We'll it's we'll dumb it down a good for some topic Sims. that we should do because I know that you know from my real health days. There was a time where doctors ravished the thought of fibromyalgia. I they, did. They thought yes. that it was just uh, sorry, a term but, uh, was yes. just, when I didn't know what was wrong with you, uh, fibromyalgia. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, but Stacey, I, I'm, you know what, I'm, 
going back 10, 15 years when someone was diagnosed with uh, fibromyalgia or chronic fatigue, it was, okay, we actually don't know what's wrong, wrong with this with patient, you. so let's just get rid of him. And you'll still have endos that rubbish adrenal dysfunction. They'll say there's no such thing as adrenal fatigue. I think that's a matter of sort of the semantics. It's but, the semantics, But people I are agree. presenting with those symptoms. Yeah, 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 yeah. but fibromyalgia is something that has caused a lot of people additional pain because of the mental anguish of not knowing what is wrong with it. And nobody believing And no them. one believing yeah. them. Yeah. People mm-hmm. think that they're mad. Yeah. 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 So there's two others that are very big when it comes to hormones and circulating hormones. And the one is migraine. Mm, very good one. Okay. And the other one, and Elise, maybe you can tell us a little bit more about this one. Interstitial cystitis. So that cystitis means it's an infection of the bladder. Or inflammation of the bladder. Or inflammation of the bladder. Um, and interstitial is between the cells of the wall of the bladder. So it's not something that you can, when you do a uh, a urine test, quickly. you don't pick it up No, you don't pick it up on a urine test You can only do it visually With a camera to look at the bladder wall And see it's inflamed And sometimes And there's a strong microbial link there Because Mi- microbes love to find yes. their way Into these small spaces Yeah, but like then we don't pick up So, but Stacey if Interstitial cystitis mm. And things like diverticulosis can be linked, yes, um, yeah. Must almost then be yes. The same, so it's it's um, the mm, I always want to say that the squamous cell so, mm. um, that forms that barrier function um, the, the barrier function is affected, letting through, well, which um, would already have started in in the intestines, in the, in the gut. Okay, and these patients usually present with they have a uncontained. Urge to, to urinate. urinate, and that must be horrible. And they couldn't, and they and don't pass anything. Mm. Yes, that must be the it's most the irritation of the. Oh. Well, Can you imagine least, that feeling? We, we see that in mm. our patients as the hormone levels start declining Correct. towards menopause and postmenopause. Um, our patients start with what we call. Um, um, frequency and frequency of urination, and I don't know what the, the good English term for it is, is drang incontinence, urge incontinence. Mm, sure. Okay. So I, where I they basically know. leak the whole time because the bladder is is <coughs> tight. Yeah. And the, I mean, again, that causes other issues. But I do know there are, and I and can't recall now, experience. Yeah, I know supplementing with ribose helps in that area. Not rooibos. Not rooibos? Ribose, which well, is a form of sugar. <laughs> <laughs> and apparently... Oh, I, uh, but, uh, but, st- mm. Say that again. <laughs> ribose supplementation, which is very expensive, unfortunately, and I think that's the reason why it's not something that people with interstitial cystitis or even people that suffer from constant UTIs are aware of. But the thinking is that the ribose... You said ribose is a form of sugar. Yes. yes, I know that. Yeah. But that's 
And just you, goes against everything right? that we know that we know about uh, sugar and inflammation. And I stand to be corrected, but if I recall correctly, remember the substrate of microbes are sugars. Yes, and. There's no such thing again as a good or a bad microbe. We want to feed the microbes that are more beneficial and starve the microbes that are more pathogenic. In certain body parts. In certain, yeah, in certain parts of the body, definitely. But generally speaking, for example, the bifidobacter, uh, uh, bacteria and the lactobacilli bacteria are seen to be the beneficial ones, hence they're always in our probiotics. And we have to feed them a substrate that will help them proliferate whilst starving the others. So with a dietary change and a supplementation in ribose, there seems to be a link in helping with these type of conditions. And that's why it is so difficult to say one food is good or bad. Yes. Because by manipulating the chemistry of your body, using something that we thought is bad, like a sugar, we can influence healing in another area of the body, which I find so fascinating. Me too, but yeah. confusing. <laughs> Super confusing. <laughs> and this is what, what when, you, when you spoke about the inflammatory response in the gut, inflammation in the gut isn't just from the types of foods we're eating. Each of us has, again, and I keep saying is this unique microbial fingerprint. So that's why some people can become more inflamed from eating a food that would technically be healthy. So your cruciferous vegetables. If you've got leaky gut, so you've got this intestinal what permeability. Cruciferous, cruciferous Those are your Any sprouts. Samples? Cauliflower. We, broccoli. <laughs> Afrikaans. Zulu. What, what would the what would the word Christopher's be in Afrikaans? That would be so interesting. Something know. that I will crucify you for <laughs> when you put it on my plate. There is nothing worse than Brussels sprouts. I'm Brussels sorry. Brussels sprouts, um, cauliflower, broccoli. Okay, that I can tolerate. They're quite fibrous and they're actually really hard to break down. So if you don't have enough digestive enzymes to break down either the protein or the plant matter, guess what? It you sits bloat. in the system. You bloat. You bloat to the point where it actually could start pushing on that intestinal barrier, start breaking through that intestinal leaky barrier. Leaky gut occurs. That sets on the immune system because the immune system would then start tagging these food products as foreign bodies in your body because they haven't been broken down. So it's very, very interesting that um, I can have raw cabbage. Mm. Which you would think would be very would be very yeah. difficult to digest without bloating. Mm. Boil that cabbage even just a little bit in um, um, a stir fry because if you give me boiled cabbage, I'm literally going to chuck it at you. Yeah. Within five minutes, I cannot walk. Why? Um, I'm bloated. That's I'm burping. I want to know. The digestive enzymes has to play a role. Yes, absolutely. Yes, definitely. So, how do you correct that? So you can supplement with digestive enzymes. But Stacy, when you say that, you you and I have been down this path, yeah. um, treating myself yeah. with digestive enzymes. They bloody hard to come by. They they aren't. E- well, there's a variety of enzymes. The most popular ones there's. 
the digestive enzymes that are sort of um, extracted from your papayas and your um, pineapples. We have the digestive enzymes that break down protein, so your proteases. Mm-hmm. And then we have the digestive enzymes that will break down, again, the plant matter. Lipase. Um, so... The challenge with digestive enzymes is I, I believe personally they need to be coupled with the supplementation or a way of increasing stomach acid as well. Uh, most of us are oh, no. on some kind of protein pump inhibitor, inhibitor. that lowers your um, production of productions of acid, acid which, which will increase your pH in the stomach. Decrease your pH, uh, decrease increase. your pH, make it more base. Yeah, increase. We want an acidic environment. Yes, in the fat's stomach. low. Yeah, no, we want it higher in the stomach. We don't want it lower. We need a higher. Your pH starts at seven. Yes, yeah, so. If it goes up, up it goes alkaline. Sorry, when it comes more down, base. It yes. Well, sorry, acidic. I was just confusing myself there. But what I'm saying is, we want a lower pH, yes, in yeah. the stomach. And we want, in GERD, we have, GERD is associated with a microbe called H. pylori Very bad one Very bad one yeah, It's associated Heliobacter with, pylori yeah. With um, Formation of stomach and throat cancer Yes mm. And esophagus cancer Now if our pH was lowered Was the right pH Was more um, acidic We'd find There might be strains of H. pylori That sort of live there normally And, and again we have all, this, all these microbes That live in us on a normal basis But they start to increase because yeah. that stomach acid is not doing its first primary job yeah. of protecting what goes into the digestive system. Okay, but system. I see a vis- vicious circle. Yeah. It is yes. a vicious is circle a vicious. because That's exactly what it is. If we think about menopausal women, it's like you said, Dr. Mark, is that most of those women are on some or another protein um, pump inhibitor. Pump yeah. inhibitor. And that, by the way, is just Rennie's, Gaviscon yeah. um, mm. as well. What but else, Mark? What was found in a study is that if you have low estrogen, the lower third of your esophagus yeah. is relaxed. Yes. So the the lower esophageal sphincter. Ah, oh, so you you yes. you basically creating exactly. a high hatersonia. Wait, say exactly. that again. So if your if your estrogen is lowered, the lower part of, of your esophagus, esophagus leads to that good. Correct. Sure, that's fascinating. Right. Sorry, Lisa, Why I didn't know this. Why the lower one? part of your esophagus? Because. Um, you mean just that valve, just that sphincter? That valve, that sphincter. So oh, that's fascinating. It's very interesting. I said to Elise, um, so people like looking, at, looking across like people, a saying, what are you people, people on about? <laughs> do not know. Did, Sampiri, did you know? Where do, let me ask you this because you know what? Good exam time. <laughs> um, let's see how much she's listened. I failed the PhD. Sampiri, where in which tissues can oh you gosh. think or do you know of that we produce estrogen in? Tissues. Oh. Types of tissue. Kleenex. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Not those tissues. <laughs> Next one. So. Did you do biology in no, school? No, I didn't. Ah, that's so a where, one. where does estrogen come from? I, I, 
I, this is like, wait, what do you mean? Just give me numbers. One plus no, one is two. <laughs> Okay, so let's 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 ask Stacy. Yes. Stacy, where does you want to pass? Wait, no, no, I'm calling a friend. Stacy, where does estrogen come from? It would come from our female reproductive organs, would it not? So, estrogen comes from ovaries. Yeah, where else? I would assume that some would be produced by our fat cells. Through aromatization, yes, but Wait, that aroma all over and in our breasts, yeah, and all of our, yeah, I mean, predominantly so in our breasts. So we as well. change testosterone, okay, into estrogen in ovaries, fat cells, yes, but there's another primary mm. source of estrogen production. Guess where? Elise is whispering the answer. <laughs> like I'm in a test and I love it. But I can't read. <laughs> so, did you know that we produce estrogen in nerve tissue? No. We produce nerve estrogen tissue. in nerve tissue. So, um, this is incredibly important when we're talking about pain. Neuropathy, that makes so much sense. Because estrogen is anti-inflammatory in its working. So when we look at our sex hormones, our sex steroid hormones, which includes testosterone, progesterone, and estrogen, the extra reproductive effects mm. are huge. Mm. The biggest effect, and I've said this all along since we've been starting to talk about yeah. testosterone, is on the brain. Mm. Now, we now know that firstly, there's an increased inflammatory process the moment women's estrogen level starts dropping. dropping. And this predisposes women to immune disorders, especially rheumatoid arthritis. <coughs> if we look at other inflammatory conditions like multiple sclerosis, the chronic inflammatory state that's there increases as testosterone decreases. And we see this in women when they have MS and they go through the menstrual cycle. Inflammatory markers like interleukins mm. increase with menopause and the moment that we start treating with estrogen, it decreases. What's interleukins now? Interleukins is an inflammatory cell that um, screams help. Okay, but where do you find it in your... Interleukins, you will find interleukins everywhere. everywhere. The moment that you have inflammation, like interleukin 6, for instance, Mm -hmm. with COVID, Mm -hmm. the moment there's an infection, the interleukins is what calls other inflammatory cells to the party, and that's where you get your cytokine storm. All the macrophages and stuff like that. Would Macro- that be in the, the, the initial immune response? It's the initial yeah. immune the response. Macrophages would then so come this in is your cytokines, Elise. Oh, cytokines are, are those chemical messengers that's released by immune cells. 
Because yeah, your macrophages would come in when adaptive up. immunity is now yeah. set in the second arm. Of your immune system for some looking at us like what okay. you speaking like Chinese to yes, you now? Yes, I'm in a class and okay, people I, like. I think the message terms. here is that, and, uh, and this is from one of our patients as well that we've seen, is she really was anxious to come and see us because she felt people thinks she's thinking mm, out her pain. I get that. I totally. I can. I can empathize with. And that. it's mm. menopausal or postmenopausal. So woman. that. Sh- sorry, she's maligning the pain. In other words, exactly. she's creating she's, it. She's what? thinking that she has pain. Exactly. Okay. So, so she's not. She's technically, according to a marker, she's well not in pain. <laughs> But she's experiencing pain and therefore she's made to believe that she's crazy for being in pain. Okay, so this brings us back to that statement that we made earlier. Yeah. Pain is sensory. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's a sensation. Mm. But it's also an emotional experience. Mm. Yes. Mm. Um and you cannot dissect the two or look at them without the other one. Mm. Um, and what we said earlier, and this is incredibly important, the pattern of pain symptoms throughout our lifespan in both men and women is very closely mirrored by the mood disorders mm. so pain leads to inflammation inflammation leads to a down regulation in our hormones over time especially increased cortisol that lowers testosterone that lowers estrogen and cortisol is anti-inflammatory and now think about the connection between testosterone and dopamine Testosterone and serotonin They create anxiety and depression Same as with estrogen There's a correlation to be made Between hormones Inflammation Gut Inflammation Mm. Inflammation Pain Mm. Pain Mental conditions And mood Disorders. What I found interesting now that you mention it is that certain microbes mediate our macrophages. Okay. Absolutely. So they would then, there's this interplay with the macrophages and the microbes as to whether there would be an anti inflammatory response or pro inflammatory yeah. response. Yeah, absolutely. Stacey, it's very interesting. We, we've spoken about gut. No, no, no. I, I need you to go back. Microbes Microbes are bacteria, our viruses, the protozoa in our body Mediate what our immune system does through our macrophages Okay So the second arm of our immune system I think we've discussed this in a podcast, right? That the first part of our immune system, to simplify it some Is something happens Just say 
a window is broken and the ADT alarm system goes off. Mm -hmm. There's no asking questions, why, what, who, when. You just send security guards. You try and make sure that the area is stabilized. Yeah, you identify that something's happened like that. And think of the alarm that goes off, that redness. That's the inflammation that we start talking about. Mm -hmm. So there's pain and there's inflammation there. Then in the second arm of the immune system, the body's basically saying, okay, we've dealt with the first injury, but really what's going on? We can, we can take a more studious approach to this. We can learn a little bit. We can see that, okay, not everything needs to be sent to the same site. That's a more, what's the word I'm, I'm looking for? A more controlled, controlled yes, controlled yeah. reaction. So in this second. It's a fact finding mission, yeah, basically. Yeah. And in this second, <clears throat> obviously you're going to send different resources to the immediate reaction than you would to the controlled reaction. Mm. For example, you know, the first police officers that arrive at a, at a crime scene are not necessarily. Oh, the yes, yes, there we go. Yeah. That's a great one. And then the detectives come in yeah. afterwards to investigate the scene. So our macrophages are involved in the second investigative part of this crime scene, this immune response. And our microbes, and we're still not 100% sure how exactly in every person, but our microbes seem to have a role in making sure that there's either an anti-inflammatory response or a pro-inflammatory response. So that's when, if it was a pro-inflammatory response that was mediated, that's when chronic inflammation would continue and not be shut off. Or inflammation wouldn't be shut off and then inflammation would be chronic. When, when we need healing of a big wound or a big injury, we want a pro-inflammatory response. For a certain period of time. Okay. So we need the inflammation because the inflammation leads to healing. More blood flow, Mm. which means more nutrients, more oxygen. So we're sending through a pro inflammatory response resources to that area. So your ankle swells up. When swells. When that condition is not mediated that inflammation becomes chronic and now we start attacking the natural tissue by breaking it down so it's it's like builders coming into a site and just starting knocking all walls down. And when they build new walls, these same stupid guys come and they knock them down again. And also your, your point of emotions. Think about, say, there is that big red alarm. We've seen it in all those movies, right? Something gets broken into. <laughs> you hear that alarm sound and you see that red light. Imagine that never shuts down. So now, if you that, how frustrating would that be? How it would make you feel or make you want to drive you insane. insane. So think about a person that's experiencing. It's a very good way of torturing someone. Yeah. So if you're experiencing chronic inflammation and you have that mood disorder of anxiety, depression, like you're going crazy, you can see why someone would feel that way. And perhaps it's something that's not necessarily picked up because Mark you can talk about this how would people know if they've gone for blood tests there's things like CRP and there's other markers mm-hmm. that perhaps you know haven't been shared with them that they because that's exactly what happened with me when I when I understood what inflammatory markers were that's when I realized hey you're telling me I'm normal but I'm not normal if I look at the picture and how they interplay with 
one another. So we can look at inflammatory markers, and this is what we do in our practice mm. on a continuous basis. White blood cells is for in, inflammatory cells in our blood. But raised insulin is an indicator that there's an imbalance. Now, remember, insulin is a hormone. We all often call it a stress hormone. Mm. And cortisol, which is also a stress hormone, is another one. If there's raised levels of cortisol, because cortisol acts more like a neurotransmitter that it acts very short. Its, mm. its duration is very short. So if it's raised continuously, it creates depletion of other hormones because of that adrenal rush. Um, Yvonne explains it very nicely about the fight, flight, freeze. When we walk in the bush and we see a lion, our first response would be run. Mm. And then if that lion starts chasing you, eventually... You're going to get so tired that you can't run. Now you're going to turn around and you're going to fight. Or the other way around. You're going to walk into the line. You're going to fight. It's not killing you immediately. Now you're running. Mm. It's chasing you. You get tired. What happens last? Mm. You stop and you say, okay, if it doesn't see me, maybe it will. Or if I don't move, it will miss me. So that fight, flight. Reaction. Okay, so we we don't have a lot of time left, and I want to go back to hormones and pain, and inflammation and pain. It's been proven now that estrogen is neuroprotective and repairs neural tissue through. Angiogenesis. Some people, before you ask what angiogenesis is, it's the formation of new blood vessels. Progesterone in both men and women. Neural. Please explain. Neural. Yeah. Nerve tissue. Okay. Um, progesterone is responsible for the myelinization Mm. Of neural tissue So if we look at a wire um, um, In your electrical cord Mm -hmm. You will see that the wire has A yellow or a red Or a a blue coating around it So we can think about that nerve cell And for it not to shock you It has to have that rubber coating around it and that helps with keeping the conduction of the electrical impulse in the nerve, and that's called myelinization. So you were saying what aids in the myelinization? The estrogen. Progesterone. progesterone. Okay. And testosterone works on repair and communication of hmm. nerves through its effect that it has on the neurotransmitter dopamine. So, if you have chronic pain conditions, it is becoming standard practice that 
hormone optimization forms a major or plays a major role in managing pain. But this is where the art of medicine kicks in, right? Because hormones are so acutely and finely balanced that in optimizing them, you'd need to... It, it's it's not as easy. It's it's easier said than done, right? Uh, far easier said than done because you both do estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone can have excitatory yeah. or activational yeah. reactions. Or, and at some point we'll discuss this at more length. Organizational effects. Mm. So, an organizational effect of testosterone um, in a uh, uh, fetus would be to change it into a male. Uh, that's an organizational effect of testosterone. So, what what role would um, oral contraceptives or any contraceptive, for that matter, besides a condom, <laughs> have on someone's experience, of, like a woman's experience of pain? So, we know that with certain, and Elise, you might be able to help here. It was very interesting in my reading that I did that when we bring about um, in women with severe pain conditions who are still in their reproductive cycle, a reversible Chemically induced menopause, okay. the pain condition becomes much, much better. Okay. Now, we do this right at the beginning of the hormonal cascade with gonadotropic stimulating agonists. And I was thinking that that you, must be HCG. Big words. Please, I don't know the people listening to us. No, you know what? I I I actually it is tried. I is it HCG? Yeah, Ovitrol. Let's use a brand name. Okay, because my God, when I read that, so basically what we are doing yeah. is we can overstimulate. Yes. The brain with certain hormone agonists, in other, other words, substances that act like a hormone that would bring about an, an, a state where you are basically post Menopausal mm. or menopausal, mm. but it's completely reversible. Yeah. Um, I have to go and look at that one. Mm. But when you ask about contraceptive forms, mm. certain contraceptives, because of a role that estrogen plays in inflammatory conditions, can one of two things. It can make it better or worse. Yes. Because progesterone also plays a role there. It is about the balance between all these different hormones. Mm. So let's come back just for one second to the majority of the patients that Elise and I see in our practice. Mm. These are patients in the perimenopausal state. 
the highest incidence of mood disorders we find in the perimenopausal state. Depression, anxiety. This is also when we find the highest incidence of fibromyalgia, hmm. neuropathic pain. That's like needles. Yeah. This is where our patients start presenting with bowel conditions, interstitial cystitis, um, IBS, etc., etc., all hormone-related. Estrogen. That's related as well, yeah. Estrogen, anti-inflammatory. So lower estrogen levels, the inflammation starts decreasing. Now our sensation of pain in our hippocampus, that's the area of the brain that's Primitive brain. Primitive for, for pain. And where pain signals go to, get stimulated. Mm. And now we form chronic experience, which is emotional, mm. chronic yeah. experience of Stay pain. Fascinating. Yes. So gut, <coughs> unhealthy gut. Yeah. We all know it's related in, in this room. Mm. It's related to hormone imbalance. Mm. Well, yes. yes. They're linked, yeah. They are totally linked. Yeah. Because they, we know there's a gut connection yeah. with a, a pathway, which I have forgot the abbreviation for, for estrogen directly linked to the brain. Well, as Mark has explained, a lot of hormones are metabolized in the gut. And what that basically means is that your microbes – Interact with the hormones that you produce, but they also produce their own forms of hormones. And I think mm. the reason why that sounds confusing sometimes for people is that we forget hormones are technically chemicals that cells use and organs use to talk to each other. Yes, they're, mes- yes. they're messages. Yeah, so they're messages sometimes when you hear us say, yeah, hormones, but if it, there's it can be balanced in the digestive system, system, which can be due to a Shortage in an enzyme or or whatever, yes. then you will have all these conditions. Yes, definitely, yeah. it can definitely influence it, and to what extent that that imbalance occurs so in you. So how do one know? Well, you can do some testing. You can look at symptoms. You know, when it comes to microbes, we're still scratching the surface of what we know, mm. and that's why I think it is quite frustrating for someone like me as well because it's a type of answer that people do want. But we can do stool tests and we can see then which species you have, but we still don't know enough about species in order to say, okay, this is the direct link. We just know that there are these correlations, but we haven't been able to zero down on the causal links. When it comes to something like digestive enzymes again, and Mark, I don't think we finished our thought on that and and supplementing with it. Um, That's when we spoke about the hydrochloric acid. The digestive enzymes aid in the work that the digestive system would do and so do the microbes as well so sometimes the microbes themselves would provide that source of digestive enzymes hence if someone has dysbiosis or they have a low microbial profile of the beneficial species that's why they're struggling to actually break down the why food. would they have that because of Overuse of antibiotics, antibiotics other medication, low hormone so, levels. But the, I wouldn't say it's because of the low hormone levels but that they would create, have. Yes, it would create that vicious cycle that okay, you spoke okay, about. Okay. So I think, I think yes, I w- the first port of call would be 
a lack of diversity in their diets because healthy fruit and vegetables from the soil, from farmers' markets, are loaded with beneficial microbes on the skin surface. Even though you wash your vegetables that you cook in your or grew in your garden, not all of it would be lost. So you would have a population of microbes from something it's like that. It's about the diversity. The diversity of the species, of, yes. Um, and, and you the know strains. what? When, when we take one animal out of an ecosystem it affects the entire eventually that whole ecosystem would break down and we saw that with hunting wolves for instance mm. wolves that preyed on grazers suddenly the grazers um, don't have um, enemies and they overgraze and that creates it's not deserts about only the a gut sickness that are, or illness that I'm talking about. I, I'm thinking about the effect that of it has on the entire body. On the entire mm. body. Inflammation, so, I think, Elise, is what you basically what so toxicity is pointing to. Different systems that don't work anymore because yes. you can't absorb the nutrients. Yes. Yes. And we had a patient like that yesterday, a patient with diabetic, um, actually ulcerative colitis, colitis. where he, he's, his gut is so compromised that he's not absorbing. Yeah. Um, so the only way that we IV. can basically treat him is getting the nutrients directly to where it's needed intravenously. Exactly. So, so Elisa, that's a good point, and I know we don't have much time, but toxicity is an important one. Exactly. Yeah. So toxicity through the diet again, the same way you're not getting diversity, you could be getting an increase in toxicity. Why would we get toxicity? Environment, yeah, but chemicals, also and food breakdown of microbes in your so, in your system. Yes, and the microbes, pathogenic microbes, also produce their own toxins. Exactly. So, so that sits in your system. Yes. So that increases toxicity and those toxins have a way of traveling throughout the body and causing pain exactly. and inflammation yeah. in various organs and in various systems as well. And then we struggle to clear those toxins because the detox organs are affected. The liver is affected. The kidney is affected. The bladder is affected. Yes. So, And then you're not consuming enough water. You don't provide the right nutrients and that's when the gain the vicious you know what is created. I, I I suddenly had an idea that we as humans, because we are in a body, think of ourselves as an entity. Actually, we are a collection yeah. of ecosystems. Yes. So think of your body as the planet, planet. on which yep. different ecosystems will have Reside. to live what mm. we're doing currently and through our actions through the food that we ingest not excrete etc etc we creating basically climate global crisis. warning yes, exactly. or climate change <laughs> exactly. inside your example. body yeah. so you know what we are systems of ecosystems yeah. inside a shell yeah. And if you create an imbalance in one, like we are doing to the earth, yeah. things start going right. wrong. Mm. Okay, so um, pain, inflammation, it's a, a very, very relevant topic. Mm. If you want to know more, contact us at the Tea Clinic. You will find us on Facebook, uh, the website www.theclinic.com. Our contact number is 010-824-1393. I'm sure we'll be able to give you some guidelines. Um, and then next week, we will be back with... Um, 
our um, chiropractor, our neurochiropractor, Dr. Susan Goslett, and we are going to explore the concept of health. Ooh, Till like then, what health actually means? What health Hello. means to different people? Mm. Have a good one, everyone. Cheers, See you guys. soon. Bye. Bye. That was the Tea Health Show, empowering you with knowledge. Download all previous episodes on your favorite podcast platform. The Tea Health Show is brought to you by the Tea Clinic.